1: said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most.
0: I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say you just need a little bit of help. And I think people
1: realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it it potentially might have helped some other people as well so it sort of started from there.
0: So many people think they're
1: alone and then you hear other people talk about it and they think oh that's you know that's so brave or I could relate to that Um, and then they want to talk about it.
0: Hello and welcome to Open Journal. I hope you're well out there. I hope you've enjoyed your your easter your bank holiday weekend your half term whatever it's been for you hope you've enjoyed um the last few days or the last week or so and we've had time to do some of the things that help keep you well happy and positive as well i'm delighted in this episode we've got emily who is joining us emily's been on the podcast twice before uh, but it's been a little while, so I think last time was around March 2020, so it's been a long time. It was really nice to sit down and, and have a conversation, hear how um, hear how Emily is and, and what's been going on for her and a little bit about her work and some of the projects and campaigns that she's been part of. Through our conversation, we talk a little bit about eating disorders, homelessness. Um, I think we briefly mentioned things like disability, sport, um, and a f- loads of other topics, I imagine, as well. Uh, so as always a big thank you to Emily for coming on to the podcast, sharing her lived experience, her insights and her expertise with, um, with her work and with the projects that she's been part of as well. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you love this episode um, and you enjoy our conversation. Uh, and if you do, please do uh, leave a review on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It really does help other people discover the podcast and the conversations that we're having. Um, And I think it's a great way to encourage people to have more of these conversations uh, with their own support network, with their friends, their family, maybe their colleagues, um, whoever they kind of feel that they can have those conversations with. Also, if you enjoy the episode and you are interested in coming on and sharing your own stories, your own lived experience, your own insights uh please do have a look at the website which is openjournalbc.com you can find out information about being a podcast guest uh get in contact and uh hopefully we can arrange you coming on to to share some of your lived experience your insights and have a conversation as well but that's it i hope you enjoy this episode a big thank you once again to emily for coming on and sharing her insights here's our conversation It's lovely to sit down and talk with you Emily and to have you back on. I I did I've fortunately had a a look through this time. I think previously I said, "Oh, you've been on before." And then you asked me like a natural question of like, "Oh, when was the last one?" And I was like, "I don't know." So I've looked this time. So um the the last time we had a chat was March uh 2020 um so it's two years ago (laughs) and then the first time you came on was the year before was in june um the year before so it feels so strange because i feel like we talk like maybe a bit more than nine months i'd have gone oh yeah like a year ago yeah um it was two years ago and the last time we must have recorded just before lockdowns i think if you were running march yeah um so I didn't go back and listen, but I'm assuming, yeah, we'd probably recorded before. Um, so I'm guessing quite a lot has changed <laughs> since <laughs> since we spoke last time. Um, but I think first off, it'd be really interesting just to hear, like, how's how's your week going? How are things at the moment?
1: Oh, gosh, it's really, really busy. A good busy, but yeah, really, really busy. So but bit exciting. Um, got quite a few things in the pipeline at the moment. Um,
0: oh amazing
1: so yeah life's gone a bit mad so um i'm doing lots of projects and lots of work within charity sectors um so
0: yeah oh that's great because i've seen i feel like because i've seen um like odd posts and bits and pieces pop up on different platforms of um i think sometimes it's not even you posting them i think it's like the the projects that you're doing stuff with are posting stuff and you're in it. And I think, oh yeah, I've got an idea. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, actually, I haven't heard from you for ages to know like, what you're actually doing and how things are going. Um, and just to, yeah, just to think over that last two years, so many different things will have changed. Um, but ha- what's it been like, I guess on the, on the project side, cause that's the thing I feel like I sort of see a little bit more of, um, like how has that changed over the last couple of years from where you were before like there's different campaigns that you're involved with now but some of them I I think are still the same campaigns as you were involved with before um what's your kind of campaign and project journey been like
1: it's been really busy it was a bit dead in lockdown I think we just needed that break and then it's all of a sudden just gone absolutely mad for good reasons um so, I've actually, since I've last spoken to you, helped co author three more books. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's been lots of writing. I'm now writing my own book as well. So, um, that's a slow progress. And um, yeah, and I've been part of some really cool projects actually within the charity sector. Um, so I'm doing some stuff with Mind and Beat and Action for Children, um, and another charity now called Health Connections. Um, and for the association where I live, I'm doing a lot of lived experience project work to raise awareness and try and improve our um, homelessness situation in our areas. Um so yeah, I'm doing quite a lot of that really.
0: It sounds really good. That's interesting because I think I think last time you possibly just had the first book where you're one of um the collab the it's not called a collaborator contribute contributors is that right um yeah I think that was last time
1: that was 2019 so I did it so it's okay to not be okay book that came out in 2019 oh. and then inspirational women of the world came out in 2020 as did a time to talk mental health poetry book and then I've literally just launched this week, the children's mental health and wellbeing handbook so that literally got launched yesterday.
0: Oh I, uh, yeah. I think I've, I think I'm remembering possibly our first conversation then. Yeah. Um, It's, it's so interesting to see or to hear about that journey as well from um, how you're, you're kind of utilizing your lived experience to, not just inform people but to support people as well and there seems to be a wider range of topics that you're talking about and involved with as well now um kind of how has that journey been for you having had maybe one particular area where you were focusing in on a particular lived experience or illness and now looking at kind of uh, a number of different situations that people might be in
1: yeah, I think a lot of them link really well because obviously eating disorders has been the main one. So I'm doing a lot of work with B um, on lived experience with certain treatments and projects and like helping to develop services um, and support for people affected by eating disorders. And I think from there, a lot of other stuff I've done is actually homelessness because a lot of people we're working with now that are at risk of homelessness or are homeless you know are experiencing eating disorders and mental health as a way of coping with the homelessness situation they're in so I think a lot of that interlinks if that makes sense
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting from the side of I think uh more and more now we're seeing the conversation around mental health kind of move forward a little bit and the the different ways that people can uh start to struggle or start to be affected by certain life situations as well as symptoms and kind of recognizing the impact that those can have um and it might lead to like you say there's the the links to eating disorders and other mental health illnesses but also just their general well-being and the things that they might struggle with in those situations and acknowledging um people Uh, and i think homelessness is one of those things where we sort of see it um sometimes it gets a bit of attention but it seems to pass very quickly um there are sometimes similar complaints with with mental health where we see loads of conversations around awareness days and then that maybe drifts off a little bit but i think that's even more relevant when we're talking about homelessness it often doesn't i feel like it doesn't get lots of attention so uh it's really interesting to kind of hear you're you're being more involved in that um what was the what was the sort of starter for you how did that how did that journey begin
1: um so i work with action for children which is a national charity as well like beat um so action for children have lots of helplines all over the uk and ireland and scotland and wales and here in channel islands and we work with children and young people who are at risk of homelessness and support their families and older adults you know that are you know, looking after children and young people, because we've realised since the pandemic, the need for the service has increased by about two hundred percent. Where there's families breaking down, you know, domestic violence is increasing, children and young people at risk of abuse and neglect, and you know, witnessing family breakdowns is also on the rise. And we know that a lot of those factors are then leading to those people and those families and those children becoming homeless. Um, so we've been really keen about like kind of like the same with eating disorders about early intervention and really trying to get to the core root of what is causing this for these people and how we can best support those people to go forward in the right way with the right treatment and the right support if that makes sense
0: yeah it's 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 really interesting hearing that kind of term early intervention like it's it's interesting how often it kind of crops up and um I wonder there's kind of that similarity of or yeah, I wonder if there is the similarity of often we don't always kind of encourage people to engage until they're in that crisis point mm. until maybe they are homeless or experiencing some real difficulty rather than coming forward for support potentially at an earlier stage. I don't know if that journey is the same, whether there is a um, a journey that people are going on. Um, or whether some people actually find themselves um, in that situation very quickly and that there isn't a, a time period that they're moving through actually it's things are okay today and tomorrow or next week they're not um is there a slight difference with with some of those journeys that people are going on
1: yeah I think prior to pandemic you know we did have a lot of children young people you know Experiencing family breakdown and poverty, and you know, they were at risk of abuse and neglect because every 60 seconds a child in person is, you know, taken into foster care or you know, removed from a family environment because of those risks. And that was already on the increase before the pandemic, but since the pandemic, you know, those families that were struggling to make ends meet, you know, are coming forward even more, and that's obviously then putting restraints on relationships and increasing you know domestic violence because things like eating disorders kind of domestic violence is another one of those secret things I think where it's not always visible or always there and that's causing a lot more strain on families and you know children and young people are having to witness these experiences and you know that is a risk for them becoming homeless because they may feel like they have to escape the situation and then that's leading to poor mental health and leading to things such as eating disorders and self-harm as a way of coping with those experiences
0: Mm -hmm. and do you see i think i would say we sometimes hear the um the side of like younger people are more uh, well i would say personally that younger people are generally more articulate or more educated around um, most aspects of health but particularly mental health and I'm sometimes more able to come forward and um, not necessarily access support, because sometimes that's really difficult, but they're um, able to start conversations or to make inquiries about services. Is that something you still see within some of those other areas? So um, whether it's support, particularly with um, eating disorders as a particular um, illness or experience people are having or homelessness or Am I kind of making just generalisations about most areas of mental health and kind of clogging them all together?
1: It's, you know, we've got, I think, a lot more people, you know, now that I think since the pandemic, you know, since a lot of our services went online, you know, we've been able to share a lot more of, you know, spotting those signs for people. And I think it's almost, what's the word I want? It's almost like an invitation to them that actually, if this is you, you know it's okay to reach out for help and phone up and call the helplines and go this is what we're experiencing this is what's happening because you know the earliest intervention for children and young people experiencing you know abuse neglect and family breakdown is that early intervention from social care and government services because if we can get to the root cause of those problems we can work together to hopefully address those problems and put in the right therapy the right treatment the right support and you know hopefully that will keep families together and reduce that risk of the families breaking down and reduce that risk of homelessness or children and young people you know being put into the care system and the social care system.
0: Mm, it's hearing hearing that side of it as well you or oh, I realise how much um the that being impacted by other people so your your kind of family unit. Um, impacting on how you live and where you live and the the impact that can have on a young person Um, hopefully most of the time very positive but also potentially some of the things that might be very difficult that they might find unsettling or struggle with as well Um, and I'm wondering if you're you're seeing that sort of overlap of uh, someone being affected positively or negatively uh, by that lack of control over their home environment
1: yeah I think you know a lot of children now you know children are so aware of their environment and aware of what's happening and I think you know within the helpline we've had a lot more children and young people getting in touch with like the youth helpline services and you know they're just calling us up anonymously and they're just sharing that actually you know they're noticing that you know mum and dad aren't happy anymore and that the home's become very hostile and it's not a happy and safe place for them to feel and you know for a child to recognize that from such a young age you know it is just so important that those children feel listened to and that they feel understood because a lot of the time you know they do blame themselves they do feel like have I done something wrong to cause mum and dad to be unhappy or you know why is you know a lot of questions get asked of why is this happening you know what's caused this to happen and how can that we can make it better and I think people think that children don't have this understanding of you know family breakdown or homelessness or poverty or abuse or neglect but actually children are really aware and really inquisitive in their own ways and we're seeing that a lot more and we're you know providing a lot more kind of art therapy services and you know those talking therapy and family intervention services actually within those services we're seeing a lot more children come forward and say this is happening and for them that doesn't feel normal which you know is positive in some ways because they're aware it's happening but for us it's really heartbreaking that children as young as five and six are recognizing that's happening and how that's emotionally affecting them and if we can realise that is emotionally affecting them from that age, it's the early intervention that is then needed to prevent the risk of, you know, mental and emotional harm to those children, young people.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's so important. Like you said, the work that's that's going on there, the support that goes on for for young people and for families, and um, really interesting to hear how some of that is joining together with some of the, the other areas that you're um, involved in as well um I'm also wondering kind of how that fits if you're able to say with having your own lived experience going alongside that and now being um to me seemingly much more proactive in terms of the the offer of support and that probably comes from the the roles that you have now versus two or three years ago um but how has that been kind of managing your own lived experience alongside supporting other people's mental health
1: I think, you know I always say this in anything that I do or any interview that I share I think lived experience is the most powerful experience you know I don't fault for one moment the experience that others that don't have that lived experience that try and do to support those people because you know they really try and gain as much awareness knowledge training understanding to help those people for, for one minute I don't want them to think they're doing a good enough job because they really do try but lived experience I think is just the most powerful thing because you have been in that situation so you're almost what's the word I want it's almost like you're going back to being that younger you almost so when you've got a child on the helpline saying this is happening in my life and you're speaking with that child or young person that actually you can think for a minute that was me you know 15 20 years ago you know I was exactly in your place then and how you were feeling and you have to imagine what that felt like to then try and give that to that child or young person or that family to go, actually, this is what can happen and this is normal. And these are some of the options and ideas we can give you to help you deal with it and find the next steps forward. And I think the biggest thing we know within the the charity services, we want to be there to support. We want to equip those families and children and young people and the professionals with the knowledge, skills, understanding, the training, the support, and the early intervention so that we can work together to prevent that situation getting worse, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there is a a real value and there's a place for lived experience in services. I think it's it's so important to have that there. And like like you, I think you can still do the work, you can still do the um support, you can still offer that if you if you don't have the lived experience, totally. Um but I think you you need it within a team, at least, or you need to be informed by that, um, because it does make such a difference as to the way you offer support, to the way that you react and communicate that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's really valuable to see people like yourselves that have had some of those lived experience now uh, be part of, support uh, and deliver services to support other people um and sometimes it's very heavily in relation to the thing that you have lived experience in and sometimes it's loosely related but I think having had that experience you gain lived experience <laughs> um into <Yeah>. in <laughs> into, into the thing Oh, uh, I was right you should never use the word you're describing to describe it but anyway um yeah I think it does impact on on how you offer that support and I think it's to the value of the next person it's kind of I guess that way of almost like paying it forward of hopefully you've received some form of support and you are then being part of kind of hopefully a developed better informed next service and then maybe one or two of the people that you support then are part of kind of that next even more improved and even more developed service in the future as well
1: yeah no absolutely because I think you know, kind of the really big thing we learn is that, you know, from lived experience that you're giving somebody an insight, it's almost because a lot of these people need to feel understood. And sadly, you know, a lot of professionals, like social workers, I don't fault them for one minute, you know, because they really have a stressful, challenging job. And I understand that since the pandemic, they've had to really deal with just the most severe cases of abuse, neglect, violence, you know, and really just, you know, work to prevent that and keep those people safe but actually you know in our within our campaigning with action for children we're now working really closely with social workers and those professionals on the front line to go actually if you notice this change in this family or this child or young person's behavior or the way they're expressing something that needs Mm -hmm. to be taken into concern and you know it's so important that the social workers and the frontline staff have been given that training to understand Mm. what they should be looking out for because each child, a young person has a different way of perspective of sharing their story or sharing what's happening. And if that's not normal for them, it's so important that that's validated in some way, because, you know, otherwise if it is left to be unheard and those children and people think, well, actually I haven't been heard by this person you know, I need to then go to you know this way of dealing with it. It could lead to their mental health deteriorating and lead to eating disorders and self-harm and the risk of suicide increasing because they don't know how else to deal with that situation. And it could ultimately make that situation worse for that young person and cause more harm and more trauma. So I think we're really important that you know, you know, when social workers are training and when all these professionals are having this training, that they are given training of understanding of lived experience as well as what they should be looking out for and what it might look like and how they can input that into their work and services and their training so that they are skilled and ready to deliver that support if that makes sense
0: Mm, yeah yeah definitely and it's all like you said it's all in um in the process of developing and improving those services to better support people it's not about kind of putting up flaws in things um it's yeah it's trying to improve and inform those services um and the conversations that happen around those as well and i think that's something um kind of moving across to some of the work you've done um focusing on eating disorders like in the last um i'm a bit out of sync on my scheduling so i'm not sure when the episode goes out (laughs) but when we're recording this um like in the last two weeks there's been lots of conversation around eating disorders and around some of the different proposals and things that are happening um, in England and in the UK and different programs on TV it feels like um, for me eating disorders are being spoken about a lot more but I'm not sure that the conversations really moved forward Um, I don't know what your thoughts are as as someone that's kind of um involved in in some of the campaigning and with some of your lived experience like what your thoughts are around the conversations that are happening at the moment
1: yeah I mean there are more conversations coming about you know slowly but surely you know with eating disorder awareness week that was February March that feels just the weeks have gone so quick um (laughs) yeah Um, so uh, the GP campaign from that was really really powerful because you know the Beats campaign this year was that GPs only get two hours of training in their whole medical degree on eating disorders they'll get years of training on every other illness condition medical problem but eating disorders throughout their entire career they get two hours of training and within with the pandemic that's happened and everything already that people were struggling with eating disorders that's you know really sadly that has increased hugely since the pandemic and you know the GP is often that first port of call for somebody with an eating disorder you know if they're at risk Mm. of having an eating disorder or think they have an eating disorder you know we always say the GP is the first port of call but the GPs aren't being given enough training to you know understand it to the full extent you know some GPs sadly don't have the right language that they use or the right understanding and they'll just say really unhelpful things like Oh, your child's just, you know, on a growing spurt, they need to go home and eat X, Y, and Z, they need to just do this and they'll be fine without actually looking at the whole person because a lot of these people think it's a physical illness when actually it's a mental illness, but it's got, you know, physical symptoms with it. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, it's so important that we put that out there that actually we all need to be trained in eating disorders to some degree because you know parents carers again friends and family sometimes they don't know how to have those conversations with a loved one that they may be concerned about and you know they're always you know sadly they might say the wrong thing which could be detrimental for those people suffering but it's once they're given the tools again the skills the resources the knowledge the understanding once the training's there it can be really really powerful and really help those conversations I think
0: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I think um it's a it's, uh, I feel like it's that tricky bit that I don't want to say most I, a, a lot of people uh, when we kind of have these conversations around mental health and like you say uh, a big thing for a service provider and a campaign to talk about is to encourage people to go and see their GP um, and there's sometimes difficulty around that because people don't want to go and see their GP and I think well, I think I'm right to make it in saying that particularly with with men like we're not great at going to go and see the doctor anyway Mm. Um, but then when you have the experience you're kind of touching on there where um, and I've had it in the past where you're talking to someone and they say well actually I have been to the doctor and they weren't very helpful or they maybe in some way kind of demeaned the experience the person had had or um, implied that the service wasn't available for an extended period of time. There's lots of different ways that people can kind of go into that experience that maybe they don't particularly want to be there in the first place and then it's not always great. Um, and I would say from the conversations I've had that's that's usually it's it's because it hasn't been great. sometimes it's also because someone is very, Um, worried or concerned about going and seeing the doctor and that maybe the interaction was okay and it was fairly kind of neutral and the the doctor or the gp was actually fine but just the the interaction wasn't great there's lots of different things that can feed into that which then leave us in this situation where if it's not a good experience it really really puts people off going back again and i think that's something i don't see spoken about as much it's it often seems to be focused on like get someone to go to the doctor or the gp as if they haven't already been um and yeah that's the that's the place a lot of people are in but there's also quite a large number of people that have already been and that interaction wasn't a positive one and now they won't go back and it's a very different i don't want to say battle it's a very different conversation it's a very different journey to support someone on if they've already had that negative experience, I think.
1: Absolutely. I think you know, if if a person, you know, who thinks they have an eating disorder or their loved one believes they do and they visit the GP, you know, if they are invalidated for the first time, they're not going to want to go back because they feel that they may be not being heard or understood. And sadly, you know, a lot of GPs, you know, when they assess those people for eating disorder treatment and being referred on, you know, they still look really at the physical side and go oh your bmi is xyz you don't meet the criteria you know you're you're fine your weight's fine you know physically you're fine there doesn't seem to be a problem here and actually that can be the worst thing a gp says because that will influence the eating disorder for those people and by the time they do go back for you know support and they have got worse by the time they're referred for treatment they are not physically well enough to have that mental health treatment and that therapy for the eating disorder and that can be where the really really big struggles happen and it's preventing that from happening because you know it's so important that early intervention is there because once you notice signs of an eating disorder you know it's so important that people are given that therapy to understand what's happening in their lives and why food has become the coping mechanism for that and not focusing on those behaviors but their emotions and their feelings and you know what they're going through and what they're thinking and how they can move forward with for that to build coping strategies to help move forward in recovery
0: yeah definitely I think yeah yeah I don't really have a follow-on from that yes I agree um yeah I think it's 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 such a um it's such a journey for um yeah. for people um like emotionally mentally uh in so many other ways as well it it, and you you often don't uh i don't think you always become aware of that until afterwards even for the individual i think you're not always aware of of how um how tiring or how exhausting um and how how challenging some of those conversations and journeys are that said um i think a lot of the work that many people are doing now around mental health is encouraging people to come forward earlier and hopefully having those conversations when they're not kind of reaching crisis point when they're noticing some of the symptoms of the things that they might be struggling with Um, and then that kind of offsetting potentially like not the best first conversation with a doctor or with a friend or whoever and that allows them a little bit of stability to come through and, and build up their support network and the tools and strategies that can support them to move forward Um, And I think that's where, as we say in earlier, kind of the lived experience of hearing other people's stories and journeys of how they've moved through from challenging times to um, access different types of support or utilize different coping strategies and tools um, really plays a role in engaging and supporting people that are struggling. Um, And I'm thinking as well, some of the the stories and the books that you've been part of um in sharing stories and insights of not just one person but multiple people as well i think is really valuable in terms of seeing those different journeys um to support people but also to educate um and i think that's a big thing it feels like it's a big thing for me in being part of conversations like this where you hear someone's lived experience around an illness maybe you haven't experienced yourself or you don't know as much about can be a really valuable thing and hopefully kind of better inform you or support you to then offer support to somebody else as well um it's not always about i'm struggling and i want some more information about how i can improve it's also about um being better equipped to support the people that are around you as well i think
1: absolutely and i think as well something that i've really learned since the pandemic and i think which is really important to share as well you know now that i'm back into a lot of face to face charity work with like charities and projects and a lot of these conversations you know people just think oh you go to a room like a therapy room you have to sit like at a table have someone staring at you with a pile of paper writing a load of notes about you just throwing loads of information sheets at you to fill out and surveys and you know sometimes that is the worst thing that somebody can have to get support because they don't they still don't feel validated they don't feel heard they don't feel listened to you know they feel like the only way they'll be listened to is if they fill out something on a piece of paper whereas actually you know in a lot of my work now with children young people you know and people with all different kinds of challenges a lot of those conversations are happening through like an activity or you know one of the charities I now work with we've got talking cafes so people come and sit have a chat with us and It's an interaction where they're in an environment where they feel, you know, is safe to speak about it. And it's giving them options. It's giving them, you know, they might not want to go straight to a GP or straight to a social worker or straight to anything like that, but giving them those options and resources that they can start to build for themselves to then hopefully find that courage to go and get support, if that makes sense. Mm,
0: mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is that it's encouraging and supporting that journey, isn't it? I think and your yeah your journey sort of shows that from having that um the experiences that you've had from having the the different challenges to um managing and coping and and living with those and now succeeding and kind of thriving in terms of using that lived experience to support not just yourself but other people as well
1: yeah absolutely and i think i think lived experience is so powerful but i think something i have really learned as well as doing it you know it actually makes you really check in with yourself as a person that you know you have to really check in with how you're feeling when you're doing it and knowing when you need to take Mm. a break because sometimes it can be really full-on and I think you know all of us have lived experience we still have those triggers we still have Mm. certain things that are going to come up that we're like oh my gosh how do we deal with this how do we manage Mm. and I've had to become really aware of what my triggers are what my emotions are what my feelings are and I think because I'm also now doing my level two in counselling. So I've just started that in February. So I'm doing my level two course to then hopefully progress as time goes on. And I've really had to check in with myself when I'm doing that course and, you know, the different, you know, you know scenarios that we come up with and role play that we have to do and skills practice. And I think you really have to know who you are as a person and what those triggers are and those feelings are, because to best give lived experience and support to others, you have to be able to support yourself to be in that best place.
0: Mm.
1: If that makes sense, and
0: yeah, 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 totally. And kind of leading on to the the next thing I was going to ask you about really is um before I ask you about kind of what's next and what the things that are coming up, um it'd be really interesting to hear about like if you're happy to share kind of what are some of the things that you. Do now to support yourself. What are some of your kind of well-being tips and tools that you're engaging with? Yeah,
1: I'm. Cracking. I'm doing quite a lot. So as well as my studying, <laughs> which I love it, you know, I just since the pandemic, I was so quiet, and locked. I was like, this is really boring, really quiet. And now I look at my diary, I'm thinking, what am I doing with my life? You know, do I ever get like a day off? You know, what's the? You know, I don't know what a day off is anymore now. But I do make sure that happens at least once a week. But for me for my recovery, really, for my ongoing kind of recovery mentally and physically, you know, self-care is so important. So every day, you know, regardless of work I'm doing, I make sure that I have an hour of self-care at least every day. And I think, you know, I'm, so I'm actually, cause I'm a disability sports coach now as well. And I work with children to understand disability. I'm hopefully in the next sort of couple of months about to engage in disability sports. Um, so I'm going oh, to be doing walking football. Um, you know, and I always just say to everyone, if, if I'm on the field or on the pitch, you know, just run away because you're probably going to get knocked out by a ball. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be doing disability sailing. I'm doing my piano, and I'm, you know, still writing my own book and building my own business and developments. And I think, you know, I do. Um, so I see yeah, the therapy dog conversation that we had quite a while ago. Now, if you remember, recall. Mm, mm. Um, so I see. A different therapy dog and because sadly the therapy dog that I'd last spoke about um, passed away from cancer and I was referred to another lady with another therapy dog and we go dog walking every week so that for me is my time out to just be with nature be with humans be with dogs be who I just need to be and I think you know any kind of professional lived experience worker or people working within mental health and charity sectors that is so important that you have that every day it can be the smallest thing every day but one big thing every week because you have to have that time out to be fully strong enough to support those people otherwise you're just you know like a car gonna run out of fuel and just completely crash um but I think you know that's and that I'm playing the piano and I did my piano exams last year and all of my studies I think that's really kind of been my kind of my part of my life and building me to be able to
0: help myself and help other people that sounds ace it sounds like a really nice kind of mixture of different things as well like you say um kind of having that physical side and the like always like the social side wrapped in with with just the dog therapy um there's uh, yeah I think seeing the the different sides and like you say it's great to it's great to be busy and to keep busy especially after the last couple of years but also hearing about kind of how you're really engaging and being mindful of kind of supporting yourself I think is uh is really nice to hear and really encouraging for other people to to think about maybe how how they are doing or trying to do that as well um you have touched on this a little bit already but um kind of as we as we moved are are we moving into spring or I don't know if we're just crossing our fingers until summer comes I'm not sure um what are the things that you've kind of got coming up in the near future um that people can maybe look out for or that you're spending your time on and like I said I know you've mentioned some of these but just to kind of re-highlight them I guess
1: yeah um so I've you know we've had this book launch this week but I'm actually writing my own book as well at the moment um for my own personal book um have got to sit down and have you know the patience to do that again at some point but um I'm also building and developing my own business so I got a scholarship to a course Last June, because ages ago, um, to get the understanding and knowledge of how to build business, and you know, the support of two coaches to do that from Inspirational Women of the World, with the other books that I helped to write. So, um, I'm actually building and developing my own business called Motivate the Mind. So I'm, you know, all about empowering people to have those skills, those tools, those resources, and when safety of pandemic levels allow I've been asked to go into some schools and do some local projects after maybe the May term and into the summer term because they are really passionate you know in my area about supporting children's mental health and well-being um so that's in the pipeline when you know the COVID situation mm. in my area allows it um and my business like yeah, building up and eventually hopefully the next year launching that fully and writing my book and finishing that and I think you know I'm doing my level two in counselling skills till next January and hopefully if that goes well I can progress to my level three then to my level four and I'm doing a lot more now with youth work so I've been asked to develop some youth services within Action for Children um, and you know young people services to help children and young people you know manage you know their mental health and the trauma of family breakdowns and you know so that's been some really big things that have come up from that and in the next few months I'm working on some projects with BEAT and helping them kind of look at how lived experience feeds into you know encouraging people for treatment and you know piloting treatment services and what that should look like and how um so those are kind of really like the big areas that I'm focusing on as well as the disability sports that I'm doing we're looking at ways of getting people with not with not having disabilities integrated into that with school children so I'm doing a lot with school children on breaking down those barriers of disability and how they can interact with people with disabilities to you know make it inclusive and accepting and you know I think all of these things kind of merge together into one if that makes sense
0: yeah definitely definitely overlaps I think it's it's really interesting how they're um they kind of appear I guess as as very separate areas, but you're kind of bringing those overlapping themes together and engaging things that, that um when you think of a person or like an individual, they're going to be affected by these different areas, rather than thinking about like, often this oh this is a separate thing over here and this is a separate thing over here. It's like it's kind of that whole person journey and experience. I think that that sound really interesting. um yeah. If if people are looking to find out a little bit more about you, Emily, or some of the things that you've mentioned, there's quite a a lot of different things going on at the moment or going on very soon. Um, Where's the best place for them to find out about some of the things that you're doing um, and yourself?
1: Yeah and so I've still got my same website and I'm hopefully going to be building a business website in due course well I personally won't be because I have no idea on technology you know that is beyond my remit of service Um, but I'm you know I'm on the same website where people can contact me which I you know I can give you the details for that and there's I'm on Instagram I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook for my sins um, so I'm learning to how to manage that positively again in my life. Um, but I'm contacting them on there. And I'm also, you know, with the help of people, because technology is beyond my knowledge and understanding. I'm building my own website for business and hopefully then building separate pages for that in due course as well um but i can give you i can send you over some links and details if that helps of all the contact yeah, that's awesome.
0: yeah we'll make sure there's um so some links in the like the podcast description and notes and stuff like that so people can click on and and find out um where you are and kind of keep up to up to date with the things that are going on okay. uh it's 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 been really nice i can't quite believe how that's been an hour of our time already i know Um, it's just just, i I feel like we'd only just really started Um, (laughs) it's been really nice to to sit down and have a chat and hear um kind of how you're doing as well like to hear things are going um well that you're engaging with those well-being techniques um and also that there's lots of different exciting things going on with the campaigns and the projects and um, the things that are coming up in the future as well. So, a uh, big thank you to to you for coming on and, and kind of sharing your your lived experience and also an insight to the things that you're doing now.
1: That's okay, because I think you know I think if we all put voices together, you know I think that can really start conversations. Because some people, you know, podcasts I think are a really amazing way to do that because sometimes people can't go and sit sit and talk to people, but if they listen to something and they connect to it, it might help them to start a conversation and find someone that they can talk to and you know that can start their journey for them. So I think it's so important that we do these things. I think what you're doing for that is brilliant because it's really hopefully helping people to find their voices and open up and empower people and inspire that change, which I think is so important. said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed. It's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most.
0: I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard. It's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say you just need a little bit of help.
1: And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there.
0: So many people think they're alone. And then you hear
1: other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.